This is the hardest question I've ever been asked in an interview, ever. I'm actually going to take a hard question as an even deeper compliment, whether you mean it that way or not. No, yeah, it is. Welcome to This Is Your Afterlife, conversations with artists and activists about death and life. My name is Dave Marr. I am the host of the show. I'm a comedian. I live in Chicago. I was in a coma eight years ago, and now I'm not, and I've got questions, and that's what you need to know. You're caught up, except you do need to also know that that coma was in part a diabetic coma. I'm a type 1 diabetic. And there were other things involved, but that is important for you to know now because my guest this week is Zoe Witt. Zoe Witt is a writer and an organizer with the mutual aid group Mutual Aid Diabetes, or MAD. So if you hear Zoe refer to MAD, that is what they are talking about. And so Zoe's another type one. Zoe is writing in the unexpectedly radical publication Teen Vogue. I say that with amazement, but not that's that's sincere. Uh, Teen Vogue's been fucking woke, man. Not not even woke in like a liberal. Teen Vogue has been like burn the police station down kind of uh, radical in some ways. Don't want to give an institution too much credit. Anyway, Zoe has written like insulin, crisis explainers for Teen Vogue. In fact, I actually am going to link Zoe's insulin explainer in the show notes. There's also all other sorts of links to MAD, to Zoe's stuff, to her website, all in the show notes. But before I say anything more about Zoe, I want to, I guess this is about Zoe, but but I want to, I want to get really specific here. Zoe in this moment, I'm releasing this Tuesday, December 20th, Zoe is experiencing a crisis. Zoe has, I don't know if it's has Bell's palsy or had Bell's palsy symptoms. Maybe it was, it was stroke symptoms that are Bell's palsy. She has a thing up on her, a, a, a highlight on her Instagram stories about it. But basically, Zoe is in a very precarious position where they are not able to expend physical or mental energy without massive amounts of pain. And they are also living on the edge when it comes to paying rent, groceries, all that other stuff. Like so many of us are have a lot of precarity. And so Zoe needs rest right now to be an effective organizer for MAD to write her work about the actual stuff that she is experiencing, which is what makes her work so powerful. I really like it. I like what Zoe writes. I think she's a fucking cool anarchist, and it was sweet to to connect and to talk. I, I think this conversation's great, and I hope that folks who maybe listen for musicians or comedians or whatever. I I hope you haven't turned the episode off yet, and I hope you give this one a try. I'd like to think that most listeners to This Is Your Afterlife do have that sort of expansive taste. You know, the people who are coming back regularly are like, 
hey, you're throwing a fucking diabetic activist at me? Great. Next week, it's an experimental saxophonist? Fantastic. Um, so, I hope you are among that crew. But the point being, Zoe needs money. And the mutual aid model is what Zoe is committed to. It's one I am committed to. We're not talking about charity here, where someone is, you know, the money's getting intercepted by admin costs and whatever, whatever. This is money that would go directly to Zoe. This is the model of Matt. And so here's how we get Zoe money. Uh, Venmo or Cash App. If you Venmo at Zoe dash wit, so Zoe hyphen wit, Z-O-E hyphen W-I-T-T. Or if you cash app Zoe Witt, no hyphen, just Z-O-E-W-I-T-T, Venmo or Cash App. Those are the ways to get money to Zoe. Here is the thing. You've heard me every week on this podcast talk about the Patreon and how I would love your support, how it keeps the show going, about reviewing the show in your podcast app to help it grow to just more listeners, subscribing, all the things that can help this show. That's great. Those things are all still true. But what would genuinely make me, I think, the proudest about this show, you, if you're a regular listener, you know. It's, uh, it's a small but hopefully mighty show and, and, and audience here. I want to show that might. I would love for people to come out. I think Zoe needed two grand was what she said for, for like a month of, uh, of, of living expenses to be able to feel comfortable, to really get rest and then get back to doing the fucking righteous work she's doing. So I would love for us to be a significant part of that fund. I'm going to donate $10 and I'm not, I, I don't have a lot to give, okay? But this is the mutual aid model. And I know some of you who are listening do have some to give. And Venmo or Cash App Zoe, and then email me. This is Dave Marr at gmail.com. Or, you know, my Twitter and Instagram are in the show notes. Hit me up there. Or fucking review the show and say, I gave to Zoe. And tell me how much money you gave to Zoe, hopefully you can match my my 10 bucks, or if you can multiply it by an order of 10, if you can give 100 bucks, that would be fucking sweet, and I would love to come back next week, right before the, the year ends, and say, hey, we gave this much money to Zoe, I am going to do that, even if it's 10 bucks, I'll probably gloss over it a lot more, but... Uh, that would be sweet. So if you're listening to this right now, please know that Zoe is doing righteous work. Zoe is in need of help. Zoe provides help to people. And this is mutual aid, helping the people who provide the help, not just this one-way charity model. And the way you can help Zoe right now is Venmo, Zoe-Wit, or Cash App, Zoe-Wit. Email me, this is Dave Mar at Gmail, to tell me how much you gave, and I'll announce it next week. And if you're listening to this 10 years from now and Venmo and Cash App still exist, I'm sure Zoe would still appreciate it. Speaking of the Patreon, there's a lot more of this conversation with Zoe. We had a very lengthy 
casual, fun conversation and go into even more depth in the uh, sort of detailed, uh, you know, some of the horrors of the American healthcare system as we've both experienced it, but also just uh, getting to know each other. So you can hear that full conversation if you go to patreon.com slash Dave Marr at the five or $15 level a month, you get all the bonus audio just released and a new year special on the Patreon that I'm very proud of with Claire Favret. And then, oh yeah. Also, if you're, if you, if you pledge at the $15 level, you're a pigeon level patron as opposed to an afterhead. Love the afterheads too, though. Those pigeon-level patrons get their name said on every episode. They are Katie Llewellyn, Susie Carroll, Fred Fidoa, Kurt Chang, Debo, John Lee, and Shuba Singh. So that's the that's the deal with the Patreon. Um, sign up for my newsletter if you if you like me on the podcast. I'm even uh, you get even more of me on the newsletter. All that stuff is in the show notes. Find Zoe in the show notes. Um, see how you can follow and contribute to Mad's work. And most importantly, let's help Zoe out now. That said, this interview was done before any of this shit happened. This is not a, oh, I know Zoe needs mutual aid, so I'm going to uh, I'm gonna interview her for the podcast, which actually, even if that were the case, that'd be fine. But I think Zoe's work is tight, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. So here it is. I grab your whip and take it back to Shatown. When I'm in Shatown, I treat it like 2020 was kind of the year that I started to even think of diabetes as a disability beyond for for what felt to me like scammy job purposes. I was like, oh, I know it's technically a disability under the ADA. But then to identify as like disabled and like find other people to be angry with basically um yeah. was was very powerful me too yeah me too and that was also 2020 for me i think that i grew up um inundated with jdrf messaging which i hate mm-hmm. about like what is it diabetes doesn't stop you i don't know insert any number of terrible phrases right, here right um that kind of go along with that um And so, and then also I, it's funny, the phrasing you used, I remember a doctor, my like pediatric endo specifically, who's a nice guy, who's a nice guy. But I remember him saying like, um, you know, it it was such a weird thing because I was so aware that it was technically a disability because I had had issues with like my school And, you know, they were like, you know, they have to let you eat like whenever you want, no questions asked. It's like protected by the ADA, but they would say like, you know, it's a disability, but you're not disabled. And now I think about that and I'm like, oh my God, what a nightmare of a sentence. But yeah, that really screwed me up for a long time. But I think that in 2020, um, and it also like, I didn't really, um, I had, I've had chronic pain since I was like, I don't know, 12 or something. Um, but of course it was like not anything that was coming up on tests, even though they would test me for rheumatoid arthritis and stuff like that. Um, I have a fibromyalgia diagnosis technically. I think I probably also have, um, I don't know if you're familiar with hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, 
but it's basically um, uh, issue with your collagen. You have stretchy collagen and it screws with your joints and all number of things. Um, so anyway, that's what I think is going on with the pain. But I had, you know, I'd been to a ton of doctors, tons of tests. You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. Um, and so I was just kind of like, well, I guess, you know, I don't, I guess I'm not in pain or it's not something I should pay attention to, or like, it's not, you know, like no one seems to be concerned about this. Um, and then, uh, so again, yeah, been disabled really like most of my whole life. I mean, I got diabetes when I was, uh, seven, um, but I had never thought of myself as disabled until 2020 when I got COVID before I had COVID in like February, 2020. So like you could not get tested. Um, and I was really sick for a long time. And then I basically had long COVID. Um, I still have some weird stuff that never resolved, but, um, from bad from 2020 to like, April 2021, honestly, around the time that I got my first Moderna vaccine. Um, And in that like year, I had never been so fucked up. I like had to use a shower chair. Like I could not stand in the shower without getting dizzy and like almost falling down. And I was super weak and it made all of my normal symptoms like much worse and then I had other kind of new weird symptoms as well um and so yeah that was when I was like okay (laughs) can't can't really deny reality any longer um and then I got online and I was like looking for like long COVID groups and stuff like that because at that time and I mean it's Mm. still like massively misunderstood even though there's a lot of other kind of chronic pain and post conditions that are sort of the same thing that they're, you know, no one really cared about until now. Um, and similar things that have like symptom overlap. But, um, but at the time it was like, no one was really talking about much of anything. Um, and so I was on social media looking for other people with long COVID. And that is basically how the first time I found my way to like diabetes, Twitter and Instagram and social media at the same time. And then I was like, I've been disabled since I was seven when I got diabetes. Like how did I not see this until right now? (laughs) But um, yeah, I guess I had to go. And that was also, that was after I rationed insulin too. And I still didn't, I mean, it literally nearly killed me on multiple occasions and I still didn't really, I mean, but I think it's just like, I truly feel like I was brainwashed by like, you know, diabetes orgs and any sort of media about diabetes. And it's just like, you literally believe the whole, like, it's a disability, but you're not disabled. Um, Which is such fucked up. Like, it's like, I also grew up in like evangelical Christian circles, which is like, there's a lot of like love with gay, with homosexuality. It's always love the sinner, hate the sin, which is like, I don't know why, like just the, the structure of the sentence is similar to it's a disability. You're not disabled, but it's just it, the way it robs you of, of agency is really, uh, really fucked up. 
it's just like not helpful because to me yeah. it's just like fantastical thinking it's just not mm-hmm. it's just unfortunately not based in reality like and obviously diabetes and how it manifests in all of us just as it, i mean it, it's a spectrum right it's as different as people are different so you know mm-hmm. yeah there's of course some diabetics who are going to be athletes and you know by many measures would be considered like quote unquote able bodied but i'm sorry if you're on insulin you can go low and if you have a terrible urgent low you could immediately die if you don't do something and what is a disability if not that like right <laughs> you know so it's like yeah. the whole like diabetes doesn't stop me it's like it really never stops you. You're gonna die. Like literally, you're <laughs> yeah. gonna die. <laughs> yeah, maybe let it stop you a little bit. Yeah. Um, for me, it was tape. It was April through like June of 2020. My fucking pump tape would not stick to my body, and so every day or day and a half, I was burning through insulin pump supplies. And when you start to do the calculations of how much does each individual infusion set and reservoir cost, you're like, fuck, this was a $60 day or something, you know? And like, and, and, and I was like, if this tape sticking can derail, and I was spending days in bed, you know, like if this shit can derail my life, like maybe this is a disability. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. When you just think about the amount of time and uh, time spent doing things like that, like physically um, taking care of yourself. Oh, we've got a high glucose alert. Um, You know, um, physically, like physically managing it, but then also just thinking about it and thinking, even if you're not even if you are choosing to like, oh, I'm not going to do anything about that right now. If you're thinking about it, that yeah. is occupying mm-hmm. your, you know, your existence in a way that is just undeniable. And so to just be like, oh, I don't know. I mean, obviously, like, I'm not going to, I'm not trying to hold a gun to anyone's head and be like, you have to <laughs> identify as disabled. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think that when people are really resistant to doing that, I think it just means that like, you probably have to really sit with that and figure out why that is for you. Cause obviously everyone's answer will be, will be different, but um, you know, especially God, now that it's, you know, we're on what year we're going into year three of COVID Mm -hmm. and um, everyone's going to be disabled soon. Like literally Mm -hmm. everyone that's left alive. Is probably going to have something wrong with them in the next 10 years. And I, you know, for the most part, um, unless you're like, you know, ultra wealthy and get, you know, access to like the most perfect, pristine, cutting edge healthcare. But even then, even then, you know, Mm -hmm. can't keep, no one's like, no one's uh, a magician when it comes to these things. So, you know, I just think that, I mean, it's, um, there's already way more disabled people than most people think. I mean, I worked in like restaurants for many years. That's where I was working when I was rationing insulin. And um, I think every single person that I've worked with at a restaurant, 
worked at big restaurants. I think every single person I've worked with has had at least one disability, Mm. if not multiple, and none of them would say they're disabled or think they're disabled. But when you account for mental health issues, addiction issues, um, just like chronic pain, which like all like servers and like people who work physical jobs like that have that after a while, especially if they're not making enough money to like get a bunch of massages and like do all this stuff to maintain your body. It's like, you are all disabled, all of you, but they would never, yeah. most of them would, that would never cross, cross their mind because they're just well, like, it it's just, they're like empowering too. I think they, they think like to me it, realizing it is empowering to be like, Oh, you have a name for this thing. Uh, in the totally. same way that like complaining doesn't make you not a positive person. It just makes you fucking sane to be like, yeah, the horrible thing you're noticing is horrible. And like, yeah. you're not delusional for thinking so. Yeah. I think that it it's, inc- I mean, everyone is different, but I think for me, it's incredibly reassuring to just to acknowledge it because before yeah. I acknowledged it, it was just this weird unspoken thing of like, why am I always having a mental breakdown over this? If I'm like, just like everyone else, (laughs) I'm clearly Mm -hmm. not just like everyone else is the answer. Um, and so, yeah, I think that it's, it's incredibly useful to, to identify, um, as disabled. I think that it, it really made a world of difference for, for my mental health. What do you hope happens when you die? Mm, what do I hope happens? That's really interesting. Do you mean um, to me or like to this plane of reality after I leave? And Either way. Your choice. Either way. Yeah. That's um, going to be my answer to a lot of your clarifying questions. Is totally. I'm still going to ask choice. them because it helps me think Please. through. Of course. Um, what do I hope happens? I hope that something happens. Let's say that. I hope that it's not nothing. Um, But as far as like what that actually looks like, I don't know. I certainly don't want to end up in hell. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I don't. um, So if I'm wrong and it is just a weird Christian, like you're going this way or you're going that way, I'm going to be fucked. I don't know where I'm going. Okay, Um, okay. Uh, so I really hope that if there is, yeah, assuming something happens when I die and my being is still in some way in existence on some plane of reality or something, um, I, yeah, I, I hope that, I hope that it's not like anything where there's a finite, um, end, I guess. As in, uh, yeah, like I don't want there to just be like, well, you're going to heaven. That doesn't even sound good to me. I don't know. Because like, I mean, I guess uh, forever? Like, I don't know. That just one thing forever Oh, you want seems... there to be a finite end? N- no. I, I mean, not um, – no. I don't want there to be – I guess what I'm saying is I don't want there to be one. I don't want it to just be like, oh, you get to go to heaven. You're in and that's it. 
Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I don't want there to be like one thing that I have to, I don't know, like the way you I want guess, like the old PE classes, you want like stations, basically. Yes, exactly. I want stations. That's it. I want okay. there to be options and I want there yeah. to be not just like one, this is it, right? Like I want to have flexibility. I like free will. So I would like there to be some sort of free will involved in whatever happens. And I don't want to feel like it's just like, well, this is what you do now. Um, okay. So, so what I, are some of the stations that you would, that you would hope to have? Well, this is, this is interesting because I guess it kind of goes into like what for me anyway, then I have to like ask like, well, what's the point? Like what is happening in this scenario? Like I'm pretty, um, I, I mean, I was agnostic most of my life, but I think that after, um, after being, after rationing insulin, being in DKA a number of times, um, nearly dying many times, um, and sort of just like, sometimes I think about it and I think about like even my, you know, my work with Matt and, and how many things had to happen that were terrible that I would not wish on anyone. And that I don't mean to like romanticize by any means, but it is a fact of the matter that like all those terrible things did lead me to right here, right now, this moment where I'm like writing about really important stuff, getting published, doing really, really, really important work with mutual aid diabetes. And um, that wouldn't have happened if all of those other things hadn't happened. And so it's, um, it's sort of changed my perspective on the afterlife, I think. And part of it, um, I don't know, part of it is just kind of like, there were so many times where I could have died, and yet I didn't. And it's gotten to be so many times at this point that it just seems fantastical almost to me that I'm I'm still here and so then I started to get into astrology um which Mm. is not religious I mean there's a lot of unethical astrologers that are saying some wild stuff out there on the internet so be careful with your sources if you go googling um but there are just things ever since I got into astrology I got into astrology thinking like, uh, there's no way this is real. I'm going to like start learning about this. And, you know, it was kind of like, oh, this is kind of fun. Like, yeah. but I was like, this can't be a real thing. Is it and like I'm a gonna, pandemic I'm gonna, hobby? Yeah. And, uh, and I was like, there's no way that this is going to, I'm going to believe in this. Like, cause it just seems absurd. And then I started tracking like transits, which is basically like where, you know, celestial bodies are in the sky compared to like your own personal birth chart, which is where they were when you were born and things were lining up. It's just, it shouldn't work. It really shouldn't work, but it does. And that was the first thing that made me be like, what the fuck is going on in this universe? (laughs) Okay. Um, so since then I've kind of like completely shifted my concept of whatever this is, and I don't really have like a solid idea of it. Um, but I guess I've gotten more interested in the idea of reincarnation. So to bring it back to your stations, 
if the goal well, is Well, your stations, not mine. I don't I want mean, to put anything on you. Well, my stations. But <laughs> um, to bring it back to, to, to the comment about, you know, what are my stations? I guess it, to me, it depends on like, am I getting reincarnated? Am I going back in? Am I going to get mm-hmm. subbed back into the team at some point? Because okay. then I would want the stations to have some sort of like purpose for that. Okay. But then comes the question of like, but is the afterlife just like, am I just supposed to chill? Am I supposed to just have fun? Like, because I feel like so much of my, um, my existence has always been like, I want to like do things well and I want to improve and I want to improve things for other people. So that's kind of like, especially with the concept of reincarnation, like if I get to go to these stations and then I get thrown back into earth, I mean, that's going to be a completely different answer than if I um, am just like trying to enjoy myself in this afterlife scenario. Um, yeah. So I don't think I I've guess- had anyone compare reincarnation to what feels like a very capitalist hustle and grind culture. But I do see, I see the way in which that does kind of line up. Yeah. I mean, but here's the thing too, is that that's not, it's weird because you're not wrong to say that it's like a grind culture, but for me, I, um, I guess I'm so anti-capitalist that um, I don't usually associate it that way. Uh, so it's kind of like, I'm just trying to like wrap my head around, around that, but you're not wrong. Um, but I guess I do have this like, and I don't know where it comes from, but I just have this like this unimaginable desire to like make things better, both for myself and other people. I think that obviously comes from like the you know uh, suffering I've endured throughout my life, which is obviously you know um, it's not really useful to like compare suffering uh from person to person but i'm sure anyone you know can can relate to some extent but um yeah i don't know i guess i just um i i feel like i'm really on a mission now that i've like survived rationing and i'm now working with mutual aid diabetes and it's given me like a perspective on life that i never thought i would have and like a satisfaction to some extent that I never thought would be possible. And so now it's like, it's almost impossible for me to divorce that from myself. So like the first thing I think of when, you know, it's like, what if I, you know, God forbid, drop dead in five minutes from now, while we're recording this podcast, my first, like my first thing would be like, when do I get to go back to continue the work I was doing? Because I really Mm want to go back and do that. So that's, I guess, where my brain goes first. So when you're, when we're talking about like, what would my like stations be like? um, My first thought is like, I want to do whatever I can to then when I come back, come back, um, do, do a better job um, than, I mean, not even a better job, just continue like the kind of thing that I'm doing, but perhaps, um, perhaps I should be more concerned with, with myself than with others since in this scenario I'm dead and in the afterlife. But, no, um, no, I think it's really yeah. interesting to, 
I mean, it's, it's really beautiful to have <laughs> that, um, that level of purpose. Yeah. It's weird though, because it's, it can't be everything because that is unsustainable. So that is something right. that I'm figuring out is that like, I need to have some hobbies and I need mm-hmm. to have some more like personal relationships um, because it is kind of taking over <laughs> my life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm also Which is happy. so fucked up because <laughs> even that's the same with art stuff too, is it's like this thing of expression and, and and it's your soul and it feels like a mission and and at at its best you're also speaking to and sometimes for other people yeah 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 and and then to realize like this thing that is like the thing you want to do with your life still cannot be your whole life is like what the fuck how does it, that shouldn't be yeah. if i found the thing it should be able to dictate everything and it's just like no, well, that's just not. Yeah, we don't yeah, know why. It's just way. not how it works. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't work that way. I mean, that would be really simple, but um, but it is like, yeah, it's just like I never, I never thought I would have this kind of purpose. I think that in the back of my mind, uh, it's funny because, like, especially with writing and um and things of that nature, and just sort of like persuasive being persuasive writing i never did like a debate club or anything like that my high school Mm -hmm. small we did not have one but every every honestly every day of my life in history class which was taught by republican white Mm -hmm. supremacist evangelicals um that was you know that was my debate class i would like debate my teachers constantly and sometimes win because they were just factually inaccurate and anyone could figure it out. But, um, and so, you know, the, the skills were there, but it was like, there was no appropriate context for it. Like as far as, um, I don't know, it was like, I just felt like I was like, I was like, I know I really need to be doing something. I mean, I went to school for political science and then I kind of just, I worked in offices. I worked at the attorney general's office in the consumer protection division, which was fun because that was like white hat law where you just like sue Comcast and like all these corporations Mm, and stuff. So that was like nice, but I had never really, I don't know. It didn't, nothing ever really clicked. And I was like, I'm such a weirdo and I'm not, you know, an office job. I was just like, there's just nothing that I can't imagine like an office job ever being something where I'm like, wow, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. (laughs) Um, But it was kind of like, I had this really abstract idea of what I wanted to do, but it was like, you know, it's just kind of like one of those things where like when the opportunity presents itself, you'll, you'll know. And I remember in uh, fall of 2020, I wasn't one of the original mad founders, but I went to one of their first like public meetings and I was like, this is something, there's something here. We could like really do some stuff with this group and um, some really radical stuff. And since then, it's kind of just been like, wow, like, and now I look at all the things that mutual aid diabetes has done and you know, the stories I've written and we got in human rights watch and all sorts of stuff. And I'm just like, damn, like, this is what I was like meant to do. But I never, you know, until 
you know, until now, I never would have been able to say like, this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing, right? It's just like one of those things where you know it when you know it. Um, and you don't know it a minute before. And there's just no, you know, so but now I'm like, Oh my God, it's, it's consuming me. And it's, it's honestly like, this is so funny because I didn't totally know what to expect from, I mean, you know, afterlife, we're going to talk about the afterlife, but it's kind of funny because I'm almost concerned about myself that in the scenario where I died, my immediate, and it's totally accurate, but my first thing would be like, what's happening with mutual aid diabetes? When can I get back to my work? And I imagine, I imagine if I'm, you know, if this is a scenario where reincarnation is a thing and you're supposed to learn different things in different lives, they'd probably be like, Zoe, you need to settle down and like maybe worry about yourself just a little since you just died. (laughs) But that's like, I mean, really honestly, but it's a, I mean, it's a trauma response to some extent, I'm sure. Like why a lot of the people that are in MAD do this work and like do this volunteer work that's unpaid is because you know we almost a lot of us could have died or almost died or you know we're in a position where if we hadn't gotten insulin it would have been questionable or something like that so it's just like I think it is such a it you know the work mutually diabetes does I mean it's you know we all of us honestly also I get my insulin from supply sharing because Medicaid um, is not covering my FIASP. So like we all use it uh, as well. Like we really don't like to think of it as like, you know, the volunteers are like saving people because MAD has saved. you're in like a charity model sort of. And exactly. And MAD has saved me (laughs) multiple times. Um, So like we really don't like to think about it like that. But when you think about, you know, MAD as a collective and how many people we've helped, there it's like it is hard maybe impossible to fathom like if we saved like you know 600 people's lives those are like six i mean like you know connecting people with insulin i mean though that's like that's 600 people that's like so many when you think about the fabric of reality and how many people those people affect and talk to every day and like their loved ones. And it's like, it's just hard to comprehend in a way that it's like, we can't, none of us can stop also because we need it. (laughs) Like we need it too. (laughs) Um, And that's like, I think why I do it so much is because I want mad to exist for me because I never want to be in a position, you know, personally where I, don't have a resource like that where I can get insulin from someone else if I, for whatever reason, don't have it. Um, and so, I mean, but it's definitely directly related to a, to death. I mean, frankly, like the, yeah. the fear of, of death. Um, well, but it's also interesting. The, the, you know, because in my own very, very, um, it, it, I want to downplay my organizing work as much as possible because it's very, um, it, it it really is so tiny compared to the people that I've been fortunate enough to learn from and be around. But from those people, I've learned that like the strength of your organizing has a lot to do with your ability to pass it on to someone else or thinking generationally you know and so so it is it's interesting to 
to to to uh, validate what you're saying about how important the work is, and also add this other piece that like, but if you're making yourself an indispensable part, you're actually doing a disservice to the work. Yeah. Yeah. What's so hard about mutual aid diabetes right now is that, um, we just, well, it's hard work. I mean, it's really emotionally grueling, like to, uh, basically be like crisis counselors. Um, and so it's pretty hard to maintain volunteers, but my grand scheme is to not do this myself um, for forever and to like completely expand and transform and scale the group in a way that one will be way more decentralized, which is good for a lot of reasons and is what mutual aid is supposed to be and will allow us to do more things and help more people in more creative, maybe legal ways. And, um, and so like, that is absolutely the goal. So really, I guess, I hope that I get to live long enough that I have already <laughs> set Matt up to succeed yes, without me. Yes. <laughs> that by the time you get to your afterlife, your first thought is not yeah, what is Matt doing and how do I get back? Literally, because that's just me right this moment. If I drop dead right now, <laughs> yeah, but I yeah. hope. Hope, hope, hope that that is not the reality. Normally, there are two questions, two big questions that I ask. And one is about a specific memory. Mm -hmm. But the other, um, I like to ask people, what's your coma? In Mm. the sense of... Any transformational moment where before you felt like one version of yourself and after you were another. So for me, one of many in my life was an actual month-long coma. But it can be very mundane, doesn't have to be grandiose. What what is one of these moments for you? Huh. I mean, I guess we've sort of talked about this i guess well that's why i didn't want to leave you but i but i felt like you had gone in that direction i mean also though i guess also so it's either it's rationing but it's really two part 2018 was rationing and then 2020 was covid and i think i needed both of those because if i had just rationed but i didn't get long covid and i didn't even figure out i was disabled i never would have even found the diabetes online community Mm. so they both had to happen. They, I think they were both integral, but um, yeah, both, both my disability, my major disability kind of um, uh, uh, stories, I guess. And it sounds like the change to you between those two things is the addition of this purpose and the, tell me if I'm wrong, but the opening up, a little bit to mystery and maybe yeah. the world bigger totally. stranger. Totally. I think that, um, yeah, especially with astrology, I mean, not to get too in the weeds with that, but like I, um, and this is not even like an necessarily what I'm, what I'm about to say is not like an individualized like reading or anything, but I have like an astrology app called the Chani app. I highly recommend yes. even for people that don't, um, that aren't familiar, 
But this app basically has predicted both my Teen Vogue publications um, to the day twice now. What? So, and then there was also like, I go back and I look, um, you know, I have other software where I can like look at um, different dates and times and stuff. And I looked back and I realized that there was like, um, a, a significant, again, I don't want to get too in the weeds, but a significant astrological transit that happened when I got diabetes when I was seven and oh. all sorts of things. And like, um, and rationing insulin. I wish I knew about astrology when I was rationing insulin that, but I mean, you know, everything happens for a reason. So maybe I, you know, that was not meant for me at that time because I maybe wouldn't be exactly where I am now if I had been into astrology and knew, but one of the best things about astrology for me now is that like, I can see when things are going to be shitty. And there's also a projected end date. Um, And so like, yeah, once I, once I got deep into that and that again, probably wouldn't have happened if I hadn't, rationed insulin nearly died and then also the whole covid long covid pandemic thing if those two things hadn't happened i wouldn't have found astrology but now i'm basically using it as a tool for my writing and for mad it's kind of like i like to think of it as like a weather report Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. is the best way i've heard it described by astrologers um so it's not like it's not like saying like and i personally don't believe that like the moon is making me do something. I think of it as like, it's an observable pattern that should have no meaning, but somehow has meaning when you look at things that are happening in your life. And it's really spooky, honestly, it's weird and I can't explain it, but, um, but it's, it's certainly changed my before I didn't really believe in an afterlife. I said I was agnostic, but I was like, I can't really imagine. I don't know. I think it's just because I grew up around so many like really Christian people. Um, but yeah, it's, it's um, yeah, those two things have changed me in ways that I never could have, could have imagined. So let me ask you, what will be our last question, but I, but tends to come in the, uh, the middle of, of conversations for me with people. And so I'm curious how that will change this, but this podcast comes from my second one man show, which was set in the afterlife. And one of the bits in that show is I tell people that in the afterlife, you get to fully relive one memory. Let's say one of your stations is a memory, okay, that you get to just fully viscerally re-experience, but you do have to pick one. Which one do you choose? This is hard because I, hmm. well, it's hard for a couple reasons. I think first it's hard because honestly, the last like I don't know, seven, eight years of my life. I would say overall, even though this most recent two years on paper and in public looks good, this has been like a terrible time for me. Like honestly, especially personally, like an 
absolutely terrible time. Um, and so I'm just having trouble. Like it's not recent. None of it would not be a recent memory. Um, I'll tell you the bit from my show. Tell me the bit. I need some, I don't know. This is like, this is really, this is the hardest question I've ever been asked in an interview (laughs) ever. Literally ever. And I'm just well, like totally people say good question. And I like to offer a quick thank you as if they really are giving me a very deep, sincere compliment. But I'm actually gonna take a hard question as an even deeper compliment, whether you mean it that way or not. So No, yeah, it is. I'm just I, uh... like, whoa, fuck. What is it? So, what like what well, is the memory? So my my the memory that made me come up with this, the the experience that made me come up with the question mm-hmm. is I was um, my, my, I went to high school in Cincinnati. I live in Chicago and I was at my, my parents' home in, in Cincinnati um, because I was doing my first show, Dave Marcoma show at um, Cincinnati fringe festival And so I was there for like a week and a half to do this show like seven or eight times. It's, it's me getting to do the thing I love the most in the place. I was actually like medevaced or like I was put in one of those medical airplanes and taken to Cincinnati where I recovered. So it's got all this extra meaning for the experience as well. But the experience was none of those things. It was just me driving my mom's car down to do the show and i was listening to a specific uh schoolboy q song and i was eating a turkey sandwich with uh salt and pepper on it and a little bit of mayonnaise and i was eating the sandwich and rapping along to the song with my mouth full of the sandwich and I was, and I just had a moment where I almost like felt like I observed myself and became aware of what I was doing. And it felt so silly. And I was so like, I had so much joy at like, what am I fucking doing right now? This is insane. And then I was like, honestly, if this were just like, if I died and this was just what I got to experience, there would be worse things. And so like, it could be that, that minimal. I've got yeah. one. I've got one. And I'm glad that you told me that because <clears throat> especially about the sandwich, because now I've realized, of course, mine has to be about food because I love food. Sure. And I have a good answer that actually ties in with everything else too. I'm so excited. Um, thank you for sharing that because I was really like, especially I have a hard time with like when anyone asks me like pick the most or the one or right, like right. really narrow it down. I'm like, brain broken no no thought um but i think i have it okay so uh i was working at the uw uh uh, the university of washington president's office um and had a had a little mental breakdown um i excuse me i was This was before I rationed insulin. It was right before in 2018. And basically I, um, oh, I, well, the, the final strike, it was a stressful job. It was a hard job. And, um, and it was also just like, you know, 
we were getting occupied by labor protesters all the time. I mean, they were super nice to me because they knew I was just like the receptionist assistant. But um, and I had to, I had to send correspondence, like letters and cards and things. And um, I, one of my tasks was to send a birthday card to Jeff Bezos. And um, I, I literally had a breakdown about it and I did not send it. I shoved it into the back of my desk and, um, and then basically like a month later I had to, to quit cause I was having like a full scale breakdown where I was like, I'm probably going to kill myself if I don't quit. Um, so then I went and got a job at a fancy Italian restaurant in Pike place market. And that's where I ended up rationing insulin. But at this point I had just started there and I wasn't um, in the worst place yet. I still had, like, I had some insulin. I had some money from, like, my last job. And I knew that probably was going to be a rough, rough go at it. But at the moment, I was feeling pretty optimistic. And it was like I had my friend from high school um, who was living in Seattle at the time, but we had known each other for many years. Um, I had her come and eat dinner with me there. And it was like, you know, we had multiple courses, we did like appetizers, and we had cocktails. And it was like, you know, the whole nine yards, it was a delicious meal. And I remember her um, like looking at me and basically just saying like, Oh, my God, you seem like so good. Like you seem like so like passionate and just like, I haven't seen you like this in many, many years. And she's like, you seem like really good. And it was like a brief moment that was like very, very, very positive in like a terrible time. But it's also funny to look back on it now because at the time, like that Zoe, I feel like she felt like somehow she was doing the right thing, even though everything in reality seemed to the contrary in, in many ways. Um, but it was just like such an affirming moment in that darkness and like enjoying amazing Italian food, eating pasta. I love pasta so much. Um, so wait, did you loads. have the job at the restaurant before yes. you had the meal? Yes. Yeah. So I okay. just started there. I just started gotcha. there. And then I was like getting my like, hookup discount like meal with my friend that was like way too nice for me to be able to really afford. So it was like a real treat. And then it was also just like, it was the first time where I was like, maybe this wasn't the wrong thing to do. Even though most of my friends were like, Whoa, you just like quit that job. Like, are you okay? I mean, obviously it wasn't okay. Yeah. And I, you know, abandoned my insurance and am a diabetic and everything. But it was like, I remember that, like, once you said, once you were talking about (laughs) eating, that was the first thing that came to mind. And it's just like, it was so funny, because I just remember feeling so positive, even though it was like, everything was fucked. Right. It sounds like a glimpse of the person you became before you became it. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. What was the meal? Um, we had like uh, an antipasto plate. So just like a bunch of delicious, like marinated, like veggies and like cheese and meat, like really good, like mozzarella and olives and like all that stuff and bread. Um, I think we had 
a Caesar salad. And then I had um, bolognese. Oh my God, the bolo there was so good. I love any sort of like meat sauce, red, you know. Um, that was amazing. And then, um, yeah, wine, cocktails. I don't remember exactly what, but it was just, I remember. So not even that fancy or crazy of a meal. It's, I mean, fancy it, in the sense of like, yeah, I'm sure it was it, very high quality. Yeah, exactly. It's like a, it's a, it's casual fine dining technically, but mm-hmm. um, it, it's like, it's not like fine, fine dining. Um, but it's like, it's, it was like beautiful atmosphere, like very still, it was still wait. No, I was like super broke at the time. So it was like very fancy for me at, at, yeah. at that moment. Um, and it was like the first time that I had really like sat down and like dimed <laughs> and, uh, cause I grew up sure. like, we would like go to like, my family would go to restaurants occasionally, but it was not like nice restaurants, like no, no, like multiple course, like multiple drinks. Um, and it was sort of just like, yeah, it was, I think it was foreshadowing and like, yeah, I'm really glad too that, um, that it happened because I kind of wonder if someone hadn't like affirmed me in that way of like, oh yeah, it was probably good. You quit that job that was clearly making you miserable. Mm. Like would I have gone back to some other weird office job or something or like what I mean like I truly did go through hell well (laughs) you know over the next few months while I was rationing insulin but again it's like the butterfly effect like if I hadn't done that who knows where I'd be now and it's just like I wouldn't I wouldn't re-roll you know I never thought I would say this but even though things are still not for me personally, mm-hmm. all that great or squared away, especially finances wise, I, yeah, I wouldn't change a thing. And I never, ever, ever thought I would say that until now. That is the show. Thank you for listening. Thank you for donating. Cash app, Zoe Wit, Venmo Zoe hyphen or dash wit and help keep Zoe afloat so she can keep her great work going, following them on all social media platforms and joining the Patreon. Come on in. The the fucking, the water's fine over at the Patreon. Free water. I give, I give people water on my Patreon. Anyway, until next week, speaking of water, remember you are a mist only human and human beings they do miracles